Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. What a, what a way to embrace Good Friday. I mean, it is freezing cold outside. It is dreary and it is raining. What an appropriate Good Friday. So each week, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but each week in this series, Luke has pointed out something significant that happened on a mountain, on or near a mountain. And so I want to follow suit tonight on Good Friday. If you will, if you got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. Bibles, phone, app, all that fun stuff. I want to look tonight in Mark chapter 14 at Jesus's final moments with his disciples as he prepares to endure the cross. Jesus and his disciples have just finished a Passover meal up in the upper room. And it says this in Mark 14, we're in verse 26. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not, in typical Peter fashion. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the disciples said the same thing. Now that word fall away literally means to fall into a trap, to fall into some type of ensnaring. And figuratively, it's this concept of abandoning a belief system. So Jesus is saying, your belief system is getting ready to be shattered. You are going to fall into a trap. And Peter says, not me, Jesus. Other guys, that's fine, they can, but not me. Now this quote that Jesus calls out about the shepherd comes from a prophetic word given by the prophet Isaiah almost 500 years before this encounter that Jesus has with his disciples, the very moment that they are finding themselves in. And it's in Zechariah chapter 13, if you want to look there. In chapter 13, verse 7, this is what it says. The prophet Isaiah is speaking the words of God to Israel, and he says in 13, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands Next to me declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
Now, a few things to notice about this passage that I want us to kind of settle in on for a moment. Zechariah, as he's prophesying on behalf of God, he's speaking the words of God to the people of Israel. God calls this person who Jesus says is himself, God calls Jesus my shepherd. My shepherd. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. And then reinforces Jesus' position by saying, the man who stands next to me. Literally, Jesus by God's side, he's saying, my shepherd, awaken the sword. And then it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Another thing to notice here is, catch this, it was God's purpose and plan that Jesus go to the cross. It was his purpose, it was his plan Now, this is important to remember because we need to understand this concept that Jesus' death was not the enemy's idea. This wasn't Satan's tactic and his plan and he schemed this up. No, this is God saying, awake, O sword, against my shepherd. It wasn't the enemy's idea. This wasn't because of a political power. It wasn't about some sort of military exercise. It wasn't some sort of religious stunt that was taking place. No, Jesus' death on the cross was out of the mouth of God the Father. Now, Jesus entrusted himself to God. In 1 Peter 2.23, it says that when Jesus was abandoned, when he was betrayed, when he was reviled, it says he continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to God as a just judge, and he trusted God's judgment, who is worthy of being held as a judge, and Jesus took it to the furthest extent being willing to die on a cross. Now, lastly, in Zechariah 13, it uses the imagery of a sword. It says, awake, O sword. Now, this imagery of a sword is employed as an offensive weapon. The sword literally symbolizes the word of God. He speaks it out. The sword is the word of God. That cross and Jesus going to it did not happen without God's say-so. But watch this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creation is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So catch this. This is God's word saying, strike 
Jesus down. Scatter the shepherd, strike the shepherd down, scatter the sheep. So God's approval was on Jesus dying on the cross. Why? Why would God allow his son to encounter this? Because you see, Jesus was worthy of it. He was worthy of this moment. You see, humanity needed to be reconciled to God because of our sin and our brokenness. We're sinful people, and we needed to be reconciled, brought back into communion with God. But the thing is, is the amount of sin that exists in the world, the amount of brokenness as deep as the well of sin is, there has to equally be a sacrifice worthy of the amount of sin and the amount of suffering and pain that exists in this world. And so Jesus was the only one that could take this. He was perfect and he was worthy. You see, he had to be the adequate sacrifice to pay the debt. So watch this. Jump back with me to Mark chapter 14. In verse 32, it says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, he prayed, God, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. It says that he was sorrowful. That word in the Greek literally means that you are engulfed by grief. You are engulfed by heaviness. So picture this moment. Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane. He's sitting there and all of a sudden the weight of what's getting ready to come begins to settle in on him. He begins to be engulfed literally by grief. He, the pain that he is experiencing, he's literally telling his disciples that his soul is dying. It's killing him. He's grieving what is to come. Now, this is important because it shows Jesus' humanity. You see, Jesus didn't just go to the cross as some symbol. He wasn't God incarnate uh, in such a way where he could just go hang up on the cross with no pain. This wasn't just an image. This was a human who was fully divine and fully human. He felt every pain. He felt every part of suffering, not just the physical flesh part of being nailed on the cross, but also the emotional pain. It says that he was engulfed to the point of death. Talk about grief for a moment. When you sin and willingly miss the mark, 
Think about the shame that you feel when you do that and then multiply it by all of humanity, the sin of every believer that has ever existed from the beginning of time until the end of time. And that was the weight that Jesus had to emotionally sit through before physically going to the cross. Talk about weight. But look at his prayer. He says, Abba, Father. Now, I've been to Israel a few times, and one of the things that struck me when I went to Israel the first time is I noticed these little bitty kids running around saying, Abba. Now, Abba means dad. In Hebrew, the term Abba is a kid's term. It literally means daddy. So all these little kids were running around going, Abba, Abba, Abba. And I noticed that because I'm thinking biblical Hebrew, and I'm like, oh, God, is God around? And it's, no, it's them just running to their daddy. And in this moment, Jesus calls him daddy. He's in so much pain, it's as if he begins to revert almost to like a childhood moment where he's like, Abba, Father, Daddy, Dad, seriously, I don't want to do this. Remove this cup of wrath that I'm getting ready to drink. I don't want to do this, yet, not what I will but what you will. Watch what happened. The word of God, Hebrews 4, that divides between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, discerning the intentions and thoughts and the heart of men. The word of God discerned Jesus' heart intention and his motivation, and God said he's worthy. He's worthy. The word of God exposed that. Jesus' whole self, his body, soul, and spirit, he was willing to submit to God to take on the sin and the judgment of humanity. His whole self, he submitted. Jesus didn't just go to the cross physically to die. He went emotionally, spiritually, and Physically, and he said, I'm giving you my whole self, not my will, but yours be done. It says that this occurred in Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an Aramaic term, and it means oil press. You see, if you're on the Mount of Olives, and you begin to kind of, you're up at the top, you can see into Jerusalem from the top of the Mount of Olives. And when you begin to kind of make your way down the mountain, there's groves and groves of olive trees everywhere. And so this garden was somewhere uh, on that mountainside. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which means oil press. Do you know what happens when you crush an olive? You get oil. Now, 
what's worth more, the olive or the oil that it produces? The oil. What does it cost? Ask the olive. It costs the olive everything. Do you get the picture? Jesus is in Gethsemane, the oil press. Did you know that in biblical times that an olive was crushed a total of three times in order to get the maximum amount of oil out of the olive? Don't you think it's interesting if you read on in this story, Jesus goes to his disciples three times and finds them asleep? Isn't it interesting? Each time an olive is is crushed, it yields oil for various purposes. The first time that an uh, an olive is crushed, it yields an oil that was set apart for the lamp oil that was used in the temple and for anointing kings and priests. It was a, the, a divine act, and the rest of that oil was used for holy things. It was set apart to be used by the temple. The second time, after they would crush this, uh, the oil in this huge stone thing, they would run this big mill around it, and it would crush the oil the first time. That was that. It was set apart for temple use. The second time that they would crush it, they would put all the leftovers in this big sack, and they would use this lever and push it down. The second time that the, the olives are crushed was made uh, for cooking and for medicine. Cooking and medicine. The third time that an olive would be crushed, which was like the the very least amount that they could get out of it, but it's like getting everything, the seed, everything that the oil had to offer, they would mix that oil with lye and make soap. I think that's interesting, considering that Jesus, oil for the holy things, for the temple, oil for medicine and for food, and oil for cleansing. I mean, come on, you can't make this stuff up. It's crazy. Back in Bible times, olive oil is what was used to anoint kings for, uh, to rule. It was a sign of their divine appointment that God was ordaining them, used to anoint, and that was olive oil that was used. And it was also used to anoint priests for their cleansing into their service unto God. You see, the oil press or Gethsemane represents Jesus submitting to becoming that for us. You see, friends, a lot of the focus of this day goes into the cross, and rightfully so. It should. However, I believe that Gethsemane was actually the place where Jesus was crushed. When he sat in that garden and said, not my will, but yours be done. That, my friends, is where the crushing took place. 
his body hanging on a tree was simply a symbol of the fact that he had already given up his will into the hands of God, and he was willing to suffer all of the emotional pain and the physical pain on the cross. The emotional grief that Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane was so intense that Luke, in his gospel, says that he sweat like drops of blood. Catch this. That blood of Jesus literally became the anointing oil in which our lives get baptized in for our healing. As Jason said earlier, Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds, body, soul, and spirit, by his wounds, we have been healed. We are anointed, as Peter says, to become a royal priesthood. We are anointed to inhabit the, the space of a royal priesthood on this earth because of what Jesus did on the cross. But catch this, this is nuts. Jesus wasn't the only one that got crushed in Gethsemane. Look at verse 37 in Mark 14 with me. It says this, And Jesus came and found them, meaning his disciples, sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? What what did Peter just say? Literally like 10 minutes ago. I'm with you, Jesus, even if they all fall away. I'm in, Jesus. I'm going to be willing to go to death for you, Jesus. Jesus comes back and finds him. Could you not watch an hour with me? And then he tells the disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I don't know if you've picked up on this yet or not, because I, don't, I haven't taught here very much yet. But when I say something that I want people to pay attention to, I say, watch this. Or I say, catch this, to kind of trigger some attention moments. I say, watch this. See, the thing is, is I got it from Jesus. He says, watch and pray. So don't judge me if I say that too much. Jesus calls them to watch and pray. Watch means to stay vigilant. Now, staying awake is implied when you watch, but Jesus isn't telling them simply to stay awake. He's saying there is something happening in the spirit realm that I need you to pay attention to. Be vigilant. Not just stay awake in the natural, but stay awake in the spirit. Watch and pray. The word pray literally means in the Greek to exchange your desires. So catch what's happening, okay? When we pray, we go before God and we say, hey, God, here's my thoughts, my feelings. This is what I've got going on right now, my life, my experiences. Here it is, God, and I'm giving it to you to exchange it for your thoughts, your feelings, your desires. What did Jesus say when he taught them to pray? He said, Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on 
earth as it is in heaven. That's what prayer is. It's a transaction that happens from heaven to earth. We're taking our earthly, fleshly desires and we say, God, here is what I want. Now, I want to exchange that for what you want. Jesus tells his disciples to watch and pray. What did he just do? See, this is the crazy part. Jesus modeled both of these for the disciples. He was awake physically and spiritually, and he was praying, not my will, but yours be done. God, I don't want to do this. What I see coming down the way in the spirit, what I know I'm getting ready to experience, this death on the cross, I don't want to do. However, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus modeled this for the disciples, yet they totally missed it. Now, why did Jesus tell them to do this? I want to give you a hint. It wasn't because he needed help. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That you may not enter into temptation. Now, the term temptation in ancient Greek literature is used in medical terms to describe an examination of sorts or an experiment, a a trial. Now, within the context of Scripture, the Greek word for temptation can also be used interchangeably for the word trial and for the word test. The only way that you know the difference is by context. So when you see temptation, trial, and test, context determines what that is. Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. See, catch this. A a temptation is designed for you to fail, while a test is designed for you to pass. Temptations designed to fail, tests designed to pass. This is the crazy part. You get to choose which one it is. Did you notice that Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation? He's putting the ball in the disciples' court. Meaning, we get to choose whether we are going through a test or a temptation. That night in Gethsemane, in the oil press, in the crushing, Jesus entered into a test while the disciples entered into a temptation. In Mark 14, 50, just a few verses down, it says, they all left him and fled. What was the difference? Watching and praying. Jesus was watching and praying. And the disciples were sleeping through it. And then when the moment came, when Jesus said, arise, the hour has come, 
they missed it. And so they entered into a temptation, into a crisis of belief where Peter denied Jesus three times because he wasn't ready for what was coming. Jesus says, watch and pray. But get this, because this blows my mind. What was the result of both of their stories? Jesus is in the disciples. In one, you've got Jesus watching and praying. He's spiritually prepared. He's ready. He knows what he's got to do, and he does it. He executes it. The disciples, they're totally asleep. They're not watching and praying. They're absolutely not aware, and they run right headlong into temptation. Peter denies Jesus, all that kind of fun stuff. What was the result of both of the stories? You both get crushed. The moral of the story is that you both get crushed. Whether you're spiritually prepared or not, the crushing is going to happen anyway. How many of you have ever been crushed by life? And you didn't see it coming. Jesus says, watch and pray. Do you want to not enter into temptation? I'll tell you how. It's not another internet filter. It's not another accountability partner. Those things are great, okay? It's not somebody constantly checking in on you. It's not another rehab. It's not any of those kind of things. Those are all good and well. But I want to tell you how you don't enter into temptation is when you watch and when you pray. When you submit yourself to God and you say, I'm going to stay awake, God. I want to be aware of what's happening in the spirit so I know what you're doing in my life and in my family. And I'm going to pray while it's happening because when I start to see what's coming, I'm going to pray, God, not my will, not what I want to do, not what my flesh wants to do, but your will be done. You see, the thing is about life is regardless of whether you're ready or not, crushing is coming. You're going to get crushed so why does it matter why does it matter what we do the reason why it matters is because this is about eternal value this is about the glory of God this is about God honoring his people and his children in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, it says this, listen, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? When you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you might follow. You see, Peter's saying, if you endure under sinful circumstances, there's no credit in the kingdom. There's no value for that. So 
I want to encourage you tonight. If you're in the middle of a crushing season, if you're not, guess what? Newsflash, one's coming. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week. But we all get crushed. If I had time, I would tell you multiple stories of crushings that me and my family have been a part of. But I want to leave you with this encouragement. Let your crushings be for a kingdom purpose. Let your crushings be for a purpose. Guys, God made us in his image. We're designed to be glory-carrying sons and daughters. That's the point. We are made to obtain and reflect the glory of God for his honor in this life. And he's calling us to model the example that Jesus set for us by watching and praying and being vigilant for when the crushings come, because they will, we can model the, the kingdom. We can model what Jesus did for us. It's all for the glory of the Lord. Don't let the enemy steal an opportunity to bring God glory in your life. Don't miss it. Because crushings are coming. Let's pray. Father, you're good. In the crushings, they hurt. But crushings don't make you any less good. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit that Mount Zion and that everyone within the sound of my voice, Lord, would be willing to submit themselves to a stripping season. That we would literally be willing to commit ourselves, body, soul, and spirit, to say, God, I'm all in. I'm going to watch, open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart to you. And I'm going to pray, not my will, but yours be done. The crushing is for an anointing. And so, God, we submit to you so that we can receive the anointing oil that you have in store for us, God. Oh, God, anoint us with your presence. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.